Uh, welcome back to Comedy Store Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Ingram. With me today, uh, one of my favorite comedians. Thank a guy you. who is a real original of comedy, which is rare, and uh, someone I've always enjoyed watching, Mr. Duncan Trussell. Thank in the you, house. Rick. Hello. Yeah. How are you, brother? I'm great. How are you? I'm good, man. It's, uh, it's, it's hot. It's a hot day in L.A., which uh, is somewhat yeah. rare. but uh, Very rare, man. We've, we've been having, for the last few years, these very mild summers and it's just yeah. so strange when every once in a while you get these you know 98 degree temps when you're used to remember last summer there wasn't a day over 65 it's beautiful it was a perfect situation yeah. I'm, a, I'm a bit of a sweater so uh anytime it goes really above 80 i i literally complain and tell everyone I'm, like i'm dying yeah it is a um real nightmare heat and you can't escape did you hear an uh I think in Afghanistan, they were registering temperatures with humidity at 145 degrees. I did see. I think I saw that was in, in Iran. Iran? Iran? I think it was Iran. I, I, and Northern Iran. Yeah, I think they're border countries, so it, it could have, I guess, spread across the border. But point is, those are places there ain't no reason to go. Woo! Damn right. I wonder how many, I would say at least 50,000 fundamentalist Christians, when they heard that news story, thought that that was being perpetrated <laughs> by the Lord. Of course. It's hell over there. That makes sense. It's closer to hell, and that's why, because the lava down there just goes up through that filthy oil soil. That's why there's oil. There's just so much oil down there, because oil comes from hell. Obviously. Dinosaur bones. Dinosaurs ain't real. Dinosaurs were demons. <laughs> Fact. Whenever they find the bones of a dinosaur, the scientists will say, oh, this was a triceratops. That's a motherfucking demon bone. Fact. Look at it. 18 foot high with horns and fangs. If that ain't a fucking, you call it a dinosaur, I call it a fucking demon. That's the devil's elephant. God. Everybody knows that. <laughs> Yeah, and th those are the same people who are saying right now that's why it's hot in L.A. Well, I mean, with all the homosexuality that goes mm, on out mm. there, there's no doubt that the it's going to be hot. The friction as they make love heats up this city in ways that you won't even believe. <laughs> when I was uh, when I was moving out here like 13 years ago, I, I came from Kansas, and I got a lot of I, – I didn't tell that many people I was moving out here just because I didn't want those people to be in my business, but – some of the people I did tell just from it coming up or whatever would give me these speeches about like the things I need to look out for in LA. And almost every time they'd be like, and there's a lot of gays. And be like, oh, how's that? How's that uh, going to yeah. affect me? Uh, I had Barry Sobel trying to fuck me in Kansas. How's, how's it going to be any different there? Right. But, yeah. If someone's going to try to fuck you, they can do it anywhere. I'm, I'm, Is that know, the worry? I think that's not the worry. I think the, It'll convert me. Right. Or or it's sort of that. Because My mind will weaken. This is new that it's it's okay to be gay. Like yeah. this is relative to our, yeah. uh, the history of our country. You could get arrested not that long ago. You would get dragged out of bars and beaten. So it's a fairly new thing. And there's all this residual crazy deep fear fear and yeah. homophobia that's what that is I, yeah. I, when i moved out here it was the same thing like where'd you come from look out for west hollywood <laughs> right um i came from Asheville, north carolina oh, okay i didn't realize you were a southern gentleman i am indeed wow uh and then you got to the comedy store when what year i don't remember you know, I've never kept track of years like I'm supposed to. Some people keep track of years. Uh, Maybe yeah. I'm doing that out of 
like I know you could say, well, you're doing that because you don't want to recognize how old you are or you don't want to deal with the insane passage of time, but I've done it my whole life. I don't know what year I graduated. I don't know what year I graduated college. I just don't care. The whole thing seems like a big soupy mess, doesn't it? That everyone's trying to put numbers on top of. Yeah. And then it's like, well, I don't want to hang numbers on something that's absolutely, apparently completely non-existent time. And then you start doing that and then you get sentimental and then the whole, it's just a bad mess. I mean, you make it sound terrible. I'm not going to lie. That does not sound fun. Well, you now know that when you get it. around time people and they're like, oh yeah, I graduated in 1986 from French Williams Elementary School on, on April 30th and I'll never forget that day. It's like, you weirdo. Yeah. How, how are you remembering that? Like, why are you stuck there? I, there are people who still go to their fucking high school reunions. Man. I know. It's disturbing to me. I got, uh, I was a... Uh, I was on student council when I was in high school because yeah. I was a fucking winner. Yes. And uh, part of my duties was I was supposed to help organize that stuff. But I just I had no desire. Well, and I, I had like five actual friends mm-hmm. out of my high school. And I see those people regularly. Yeah. And the people that I don't see that I'm not really friends with, I you know, I see them on Facebook and MySpace and stuff. So I, I know which ones are fat and which ones have 90 kids and all yeah. the shit that you want to see how bad people are doing. Yes. So I don't need to fucking go to that. So I started getting messages from people like, you know, you're kind of giving up on your duties. I'm like, I'm fucking, what? I'm 28 years Do old. You, I don't give a fuck about my high who, school duties. Who sent you that message? Uh, the, I believe it was the treasurer of the student council that or something. Is a, that's a lunatic. I was just like, that's yeah. a person who's got some weird shit buried yeah. in their backyard, man. Anyone who takes the time to email someone about their high school duties years after high school's <laughs> ten, over, ten years later, like, that's a loon. That's you, a pure. You loon. agreed to this, and now you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. So suspend me from the student council. Psychopath. You should have just written psychopath. <laughs> and it's weird because I know they all think I'm a huge weirdo. But to me, like those are the people are weird, like people who just never left the well, comfort li- of their world. You know, when you see those ridiculous videos of people doing choreographed parachuting. Sure. Where they're all clinging together in snowflake formations right. as they go to the ground. So you see the same thing emerge as people are falling through time, and then you see these nostalgic groupings of people clinging to each other as they go rocketing towards oblivion, and somehow by like clutching onto each other and clutching onto the people who they were with when they were young and in shape and healthy and popular, popular, that, that allows them just a tiny little taste of what it used to be like and a little bit of distraction from their impending doom, which is being yeah. affirmed every single day because every the older you get, and especially if you're someone lurking on Facebook, the more you're reminded of the gentle stroke of the grim reaper's <laughs> scythe upon the face of all those you love. And, <laughs> and beyond the doom, there's the reality of their current existence and how that doom can't come fast enough compared to the world they're existing in, which is some mundane job as a fucking... You know, accountant at some shitty box company or selling insurance, whatever it is they're doing. I did. I saw. Do you feel bad being a, a comedian and and having that level of scathing judgment for the what Karl Marx would call the proletariat? Uh, no, I mean, I, I I don't. I I honestly feel bad about very little in the world. I mean, it's. I'm happy with my world. I fucking love existence out here. 
I mean, growing up in Kansas was something I was always pretty miserable, just being around a fairly close-minded, join the masses, mm. individuality should be punished mm. type of scenario. They do do that. And uh, a lot of Christians in the part of the country I'm from, mm. and uh, I was a pretty devout atheist from a very young age. I see. And back then, now I'm, I'm not so much. I really don't care. I still believe in in no sort of God, but... It doesn't bother me if other people do, but back then it was like my fucking dream was just to ruin the false reality of other people's faith. Okay, so you were like the parachuter going by and yelling at Charles, everybody. Yeah, I was. There's ready. no parachute. <laughs> just so you guys know, there's no shoot. They're holding hands, and I'm just red rovering through their arms, yeah. chopping down. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it, you you feel yeah. I remember when that reminds me of when I saw. Um, George Carlin here at the comedy store in the main room. Yeah. And uh, fuck, man, this was like a big moment for me because he's one of my favorite comics. And uh, yeah. I just I, I, I you know, grew up uh, listening to him and my dad loved him. But uh, so I can remember sitting down to watch him with the kind of trepidation you always feel when you're seeing a, a a comic who's gotten old right. or any artist who's gotten old, that fear that shit, man, I hope they're still good. He starts off. The joke was something about a weather vane. Uh, I can't even remember. It was really bad. Like it was a cheesy joke, like a stock joke almost. Yeah. I, I recall watching the same, probably the same show or same set of shows. And being yeah. Like, remember the this isn't quite weather, as... weather vane joke. And you're like, Oh Jesus, this is going to be bad. Yeah. But then within like 15 minutes, he starts doing jokes about his dying wife's cancer screams. Do you remember that? <laughs> okay. He yeah. gets real dark. He yeah, gets real, real dark. I remember being like, man, he is in a fucked up place now. Yes. Yeah. And 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 I realized as I'm watching him that a lot of what is was uh, propelling this man to do comedy was the desire to surgically dissect whatever comforting paradigm people in the audience had gotten stuck to, not because he wanted to free them from it, because out of pure sadism. And yeah. I remember seeing that this is the most refined philosophical sadism that I've ever seen in my life, from a comedian at least. Right. And uh, just thinking, God, he's a necromancer. This is a black warlock who is <laughs> just intentionally trying to disrupt people's consciousness. That's so beautiful, just the thought of that. Yeah, well, I mean. It's, it's from a legend, too, where it's like these people all came thinking he's going to do seven dirty words. And instead, they're getting fucking a taste of reality that they weren't prepared yeah. for. And they love it. Even of though course. they might be offended and horrified, it's that feeling of having the the the, the floor pulled evaporated from underneath your feet suddenly you're in some this bastard is dragging you into, into, into places that you don't want to go and shoving your face into things you don't want to necessarily think about and it's glorious sure and it's freeing you know so yeah there's a, a whole school of comedy that i guess you're a part of that has as one of its uh, motivations behind it, a kind of abiding yeah. fury. Fuck you to the masses. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anger at the entire the 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 the, so, the way that humans form uh, together in these mundane, mediocre, 
unthought out groups that are mainly composed of symbols that have been passed down from terrified generations to other generations end result being a kind of half lived existence, uh, which is the projection of course, because really, man, the pro here's where you want to, you know, the great disrupting horror of it all is that every single one of those people is you. And and when you start realizing that, that it's just you, you're looking at varying versions of you. Sure. In the sense, not that they're, I mean, you could say from a new age Eastern mysticism, we're all one. Or you could say from the law, from physics, if you zoom backwards far enough, we're clearly all part of some thing that we don't the understand, thing, but yeah. we're all one. But aside from all that shit, if you consider the inarguable fact that every single human that you've contacted, apprehended, talked to, I don't know why I said apprehended, you're not a cop, but any, any human you've gotten around, <laughs> you, have a, the, you ha, have a neurological corollary for them in your mind. You've converted them in your mind to a kind of <clears throat> an, an approximation of what you think they, they are. are. Yeah, yeah, I So agree. It's a, your brain is a mirror that has reflected these sociological constructs, right? And now they exist inside your mind yeah. as a reflection, which truly means whenever you contemplate or think about any one of these people that you hate, you're in the terrible predicament of actually not hating them, but hating yourself. You're hating the neurological corollary. You're hating the reflection. You're hating a manufactured fucking thing your brain created. So you're literally hating yourself, Whoa. disrupting yourself, attacking yourself. You're a cutter, Ingram. No, one, no one hates themselves as much as me then, because Ooh. my hate was strong for these people. Mm-hmm. My, uh, uh, one of my favorite things, and I know my teacher meant it uh, in a derogatory way to try and cut me down, but it yeah. always made me feel great for what I considered the situation to be. She would always address the class. She'd always go, people and Rick, and then oh. she would get into her oh, conversation. You're the, you're the weirdo. Huh? And I, I just remember always being like, that's so fucking great because I, yeah. I don't want to be associated with these people, but everyone would snicker, yeah. kind of give me that look like, yeah. Uh, no, that's victory. I'm, right? not, I'm not part of this. This is wonderful. Yeah. Separated from humanity? Yeah. I'll take it. Well, separated from factory farming for humans, which yeah. is what a lot of high schools are, especially these days. Yeah. yeah. You always get, you know, the, um, have you ever heard the term descendant of Cain? Mm-hmm. Was the, the evil ones? Well, not the evil ones. It's really interesting. In the, in the book of Genesis, the, so Cain, of course, is the first murderer. Yeah. Right. So Cain slew Abel. Abel, they were brothers. They were, they were both offering to God, and God was apparently more interested in one of their offerings than the other offering, right? And so Cain looked at this one, Abel, and was like, okay, fuck you, and killed him. And so, in a way, your attitude of hating the offering that all most of humanity is giving to the universe in the form of their mundane life is probably very similar to that rage that initially drove Cain to smash a rock on top of his brother's head and then uh, try to hide it from God. And that's one of the great verses in the Bible where God is like, you know, interrogating somebody when he already knows he killed them. But anyway, Cain gets the mark of a mark, right? which makes him an eternal outcast. 
And he's driven out of Eden to the land of Nod. And his descendants became the musicians and artists in the book of Genesis. Beautiful. Isn't that fucking cool? That's like the closest thing to believing in anything from the Bible I've ever felt was well, just it, now. It's, it's like, a, you know what? That makes sense. It's, and well, I, yeah, I'll accept it's not that. real, but it's all used as a kind the, of... The mysticism of it, though, is... Yeah, it is. Like, that's pretty awesome. It's pretty fucking awesome. The outcast, the outsider. Because if you think about it, to be a comedian, to be an artist... There needs to be this kind of exclusion that happens so that you can start creating original thoughts, right. which which um, you 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 can use in whatever your particular art form is. But you do need that. You need that, and a lot of it seems like most artists have experienced that kind of thing. But then also, I think most people feel excluded, or they do. I definitely at, agree. I think yeah. even the most normal people don't always think they belong. I just think. As individuals, even if you're trying to be part of the pack, you still have to deal with the fact that you are an individual. And that's fucking scary to a lot of people. Some of us embrace that and enjoy it. And other people are terrified by the fact that they can't just be, you know, a a cow in a herd. Right. They're just they're They have the reality of knowing that they have to live and believe what they believe without any sort of connection to other people. Yes. Um. That's scary. Yeah. And people are, are scared of that, which is why people are so happy where I grew up and in a lot of parts of the country with the symbolism of being a sheep in Christ's shepherd mm. and just how that's a good thing. It's like, oh, okay. That's what makes you comfortable, I guess. Go for it. To be part of the herd. To be part of it. Just to, I'm, I'm part of a group and I follow without knowing why. And it, I mean, it infuriated me for years. I was just like, man, fuck these people. Think for your fucking selves. And now I look at them like, I don't know why I cared. Well, I, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to change anyone. And the things I was saying, wasn't never going to make someone go, you know what? I don't believe in the things I believe in. You never know. Just like they weren't going to convince me with no matter how many times they told me some stupid verse or whatever it was. And, you know, you don't have any proof that God doesn't exist. I'm like, yeah, that. Same same faith argument. Then I don't need proof that God doesn't exist. The God the God thing is really hilarious. Uh, that that is uh, something that that people are like. God is a thing that all the that. So God seems to be a thing that wears the mask of whatever is the highest technology for whatever particular time period sure. God is being conceptualized in. So like old versions of God are king. They always hear Lord King, right. all these weird, uh, like it's titles ro- royalty, of power. Yeah. It's royalty because at one point I think royalty was a kind of technology. It was a, a weird kind of soci- sociological technology that they, that was obviously invented, but it's pretty high tech. And <clears throat> for the time period, I guess it's this kind of adorned leader but the, so now people, when they talk about God, and I'm not talking about pe- the, the, the people who are still following any kind of religious path, but the new way that people are talking about God is through the language of physics and through the language of um, like simulation theory. Do you know about simulation theory at all? I don't know. It's really a fascinating thought experiment that this guy, I think Bostrom is his last name, came up with. And basically the way it goes is, okay we appear to exist in an infinite universe but because of fermi's paradox you know what fermi's paradox is if we exist in an infinite universe and there 
as many theoretically habitable Earth-like planets in a close proximity to us, why have we not gotten contact from Anyone's yet. Okay. And there's a lot of interesting answers for that that make sense. Like one of the, there's some terrifying ones, which is that civilizations, when they get to a certain level of technological innovation, they realize that there's a predatorial super force out there that devours planets that reach out to other planets so they don't reach out because it's too dangerous why, yeah why you, draw in the enemy you'll get attacked yeah. yeah so that's one answer another answer is just like when a and i think the recent movie pixels really addressed that well it's pixels was actually based on fermi's paradox <laughs> and so. bostrom simulation theory but there's always cool cool uh cool uh, theories uh, or cool cool i explanations for why we haven't made contact. But simulation theory is really curious because the idea is right now our processing speed in our phones and our video games, video games are not video games. They're reality simulators. And when you're playing a video game, you're in some form of reality simulation and market pressures are making video games get increasingly sophisticated. Market pressures are making the ability to simulate reality for hedonism and pleasure and leisure and uh, training, uh, it's, it's making uh, humans innovate faster and faster and better and better ways to simulate reality in virtual space. So it's really obviously you could track what's going to happen 10 years from now and say it's a fair – you could say with almost 80 percent certainty that within 10 to 20 years, people will be able to enter into simulated realities that are – completely identical to this reality and indiscernible from this reality. And that's only matrix type theory, matrix type theory. That's 20 years from now. Right. So if that's the case, then you could hypothesize that if there were advanced civilizations that were older than us, then they would have uh, tried to simulate reality in the same way that we're trying to simulate reality, but they would have done it a million times better which means that the odds are higher that we are inside a simulator right now than that we're not inside a simulator and that the odds are, and if that's the case, then Fermi's paradox could be explained by the simulation itself doesn't allow for contact with other planets. Okay. But anyway, it's a really fucking crazy idea because it's just the same thing as God. It's just another way of saying God. Right. You know, because you are kind of stuck in a weird situation if you're an atheist in the sense that it's like, God damn it, you've you gotta believe in something weirder than a creator force. You gotta believe in the concept that inorganic matter springs into organic matter just over the course of millennia and that that's just something that happens sometimes and that is fucking nuts that's crazy both of them are equally like are you fucking kidding me you think some super advanced intelligence brought life to the to to the void or the other science experiment is a science or or some a greater power science experiment we don't even know why or what or whatever reason who the fuck knows it could have been for anything it could have just been an accident could have been an accident but we don't know but that's a crazy notion but then you put next to it the other notion which is that yeah you know sometimes in the grand scan of the span of quintillions and quintillions and quintillions of years nothingness becomes somethingness and in that somethingness there's an explosion of energy that produces all of this fucking after it cools down it congeals and forms planets and those planets spin for a certain amount of time in the fucking void 
And just like a Vitamix that you've left on for millennia, all of a sudden it's, it starts creating single-celled organisms, which become multi-celled organisms. They, catch, they happen to catch into the orbit of a superheated gas ball and yeah. allow just the right fucking mix of oh, yeah. the odds. Terrifying. Terrifying. <laughs> Equally bizarre. Yeah. No matter. That's the thing about this dimension, man. You can't escape anything that you want to do to try to escape from how bizarre it is. You can't. It is this situation we've gotten ourselves into here is a fucked up situation in a lot of ways. I love it, but it's definitely pretty intense to have uh, gone from being the unmanifest to the manifest. And only you we only have this little temporal window that we can understand what's going on about 70 years. Yeah. You know, and that you just get this tiny little bit of time to look around and be like, what the fuck is this? Wait, yeah. what? The planet gonna, made- no one's going to figure it out in that amount of time. Right. I know. It's so it's so strange. But, yeah, you're probably right. Maybe the maybe the computer, maybe AI will. This uh, this is, by the way, the uh, the most philosophical comedy store podcast we've had yet, which I, I did expect. Um, and uh, usually like uh, I, I did a, a couple other ones. One, I've only had one comic try and run bits throughout oh, wow. the podcast. That's was, pretty brutal. It was kind of frustrating. Happens, huh? Because uh, I was just like, what, what, why are you doing this? But um, And since I, I'm here a lot and I see comics go up every time you would start, I'm just like, what? I'm not, this isn't Jay Leno. I'm not. You should tell them in the beginning because a lot of people never done podcasts and they're confused. That might have been it. it. And they're comedians and they think that they're still They're think- on point. It's that Tonight Show mentality. Yeah. Or they, I understand you went on vacation this summer. Is that true? I sure did. I saw a whale eat my Aunt Williams. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but it was very bizarre. And uh, I, I can say I wasn't expecting that was going to happen, but I definitely wasn't expecting uh, to question why our existence uh, is right off the bat, but um, enjoying it nonetheless. Not yeah. Just get down to the, the nitty gritty of the comedy stores starts with existence. Questioning so, your existence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, isn't that, but it is, I mean, I think that when you're, if you're a comedian, your mind is always deconstructing everything and eventually it's going to start deconstructing yourself sure. inevitably. It's, or maybe that's the first thing it starts trying to break apart. I think maybe they should. I don't know that every comedian is doing that, but they should, probably should be doing that. I, I don't think it hurts to do it. I mean, I don't think you have to. I mean, God, that's, you know, there's so many different ways to go about the thing. And I don't think it's a implicit part of being a comedian, but... I think if you want it to mean something, it's probably a smart thing to do. But yeah. I just don't know how many people want it to mean something and how many of them just want to tell dick jokes on. There's nothing wrong with dick jokes, but if that's just the end goal is I'm going to tell some dick jokes on Jimmy Fallon, then uh, then maybe that, that's well, part of the issue. I think a lot of people, they, they, you know, a lot of people get into things for one reason and then and then the process transforms them into something else which is kind of cool to watch and it's an interesting part of um when you're any when you when when you engage in any kind of activity that requires refinement and re- repetition over the course of it it's going to change you over the course of doing it you're going to shift maybe not but you're going to you, you, you will should, yeah. you will change a little bit so i i think a lot of people they don't know they don't even know what they're doing they just stumble into the thing and then over the course of doing it, something clicks inside of them, maybe. But that whole th- – the problem is it's like it's weird to consider that so much of comedy uh, up until not very long ago was based on getting a TV set together. 
yeah. that that was a big deal. It used to be Get a your really five big minutes deal. for yeah. for Carson. And they would come and sit, and then they may still do it, but <clears throat> people from the networks would come and sit in the back of the OR. Yeah. And they would watch comedians do their stand up and then they would try to revise it or refine it so that it would work on TV. I, I was talking with Yakov Smirnoff one night and uh, I was doing, we did Fraser Smith's radio show together and uh, we were just sitting in the waiting room and we were kind of talking about it. It was right when Robin Williams died like a year ago. And uh, he was, he was telling me about when he first did Carson and how he showcased for the Carson people like 10 times. The guy just kept telling him no. It's not going to happen. And he, uh, he booked, I think, uh, Moscow on the Hudson or something. And, uh, so Carson had him on and he did great. He crushed it. You know, he's the the zany Russian character and the people liked it. And, you know, Carson was loving him and was just like, why haven't you been on? How come we haven't had you on? And he's like, you know, I've been showcasing for the, for your guy. And he just keeps telling me I'm not ready. So then the guy, his defense was just like, I've been trying to get him on, but we just haven't had the, the time. Right. And he said that guy never gave him notes. It was just like, you're not ready. You're not ready. Right. And then Johnny loved it. And then he just kept bringing him back over and over again. He said the guy basically just kind of ignored it. Like, well, I'm in, obviously in the wrong here. So uh, fucking bridge troll. Those are bridge trolls. And, and, and they, uh, it's, I love what's happening right now. Because it used to be there was this paradise that everybody wanted to get into if you're a comedian. And that paradise was TV. Right. And there was only a few bridges that led over the moat to get to that fucking paradise. And those bridges were guarded by people like that guy you just described and so many other people who stood there and allowed themselves the fantasy that they were somehow able to discern one one they person knew. they who's knew who's good and who's bad right yeah and 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 that is an inc- the lord of comedy Woo! what a powerful powerful position to put yourself in yeah and what a fun game to play if you're an insecure comedian because if you can just get one of these people to tap you on the shoulder then suddenly you can instead of having to deal with your own love loving yourself or considering yourself good enough to perform or worthy of performing you can discard all of that and just be a little simple Tempering little uh, t- uh, uh, sheep, as you say, yeah. and just say, "Oh, this person has tapped me, and therefore I must be ready yeah. to." Uh, I'm breaking out. And I'm what ready. a magic trick! Which is why I understand Mitzi's uh, making people paid regulars because whether or not she had some preternatural ability to discern talent, I don't know. I like to believe that she did because she made me a paid regular. Yeah, and it's fun to imagine that. And I. I when you're in this building, you feel such an incredible, weird energy, and so much of it's from her. Who the fuck knows? And she does radiate a certain kind of energy that's unbelievable. Yeah. She, I mean, she's a very frightening and powerful person. Yes. And I say that as someone who's scared of almost nobody. Terrifying. Yeah. Yes. Especially when you first are showcasing for and stuff. It is horrifying. But, I, you know, I think because she's so smart, that she and I'm sorry, Comedy Store, to try to unravel the secrets of of what Mitzi was doing, <laughs> but I do think about it a lot. But I I think I, she's such a smart person that I think she she knows that sometimes it doesn't matter if the person's funny, but if the person just gets or funny in the beginning, if the person just gets a little bit of you're okay, which they right. haven't been getting their whole lives. 
it might uh, that like, can blossom. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. I, I mean, that's definitely how it was with me. I had I had about four minutes of the worst uh, jokes of all time when I got passed, and I, I about I had about three minutes of really terrible Will Ferrell impressions that I was doing. Wow! And then like another minute, two minutes maybe of like really bad material, and. Uh, when I showcased, I've talked about it before, so I don't want to get into it a lot, but, uh, you know, I did three minutes and I was just trying to not get fired. I was a doorman and I was doing my doorman shift. And despite what the old talent coordinator, Tommy likes to tell people, uh, he was not the assistant talent coordinator. Then you were. Yeah. And, uh, Mitzi, I went up front of Mitzi and there was like nine people in the room and she had already passed Ari that night and Kirk Fox, and I wasn't even supposed to get to do my employee spot, but everyone pushed out because everyone was terrified no of going up in front of her. Front of her yeah. So Skippy Simon came and he was like, I can't find anybody else. You're going up in like a minute. I was like, well, oh, what? So then I'm terrified because I had, I had planned to try some new stuff, but then they told me I wasn't going to go up, so I stopped thinking about it, and that was all probably helped because I wasn't sitting around freaking out like, what am I going to do for this lady? And I went up and I did fine. I did okay. And I get walked off stage and Mitzi called me over and I just remember being like, oh, fuck, this is where I get yeah. fired. She said really nice, positive things to me, told me I need to perform more. I need to go up a lot more, but she thought I was good and I had potential. And I just remember walking out being like, that's great. And then you walked up to me and you're like, dude, Mitzi loved you. You're paid regular. And all I really knew about you at that point was this guy is really good at fucking with people. Oh, no. So I was like, yeah, okay. And oh, then you're like, no, I I'm serious. I never would have done that. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't really know you. I was just like, I knew you were friends with Ari. And that was enough for me to be like, he's probably fucking with yeah. me. Yeah. And because uh, all those guys fucked with me all the time. I was like 21 and right. an asshole. So I was like, yeah, you know, fuck this new guy. Uh, I just remember being like, okay. And then. Uh, you told me, yeah, so call on your avails tomorrow. I'm just like, oh. I'm not doing that. I know I'm going to call and then this guy Duncan's going to laugh at me that I believe that oh, I got passed. God. Jesus, no. <laughs> and then uh, the next day uh, I called and gave you my avails or whatever. And then I got a phone call saying, you know, I had a 15 minute spot opening the show on the, the Wednesday. Yep. And uh, I just remember being like, oh, fuck, I, I don't have 15 minutes. What am I supposed to do now? But obviously, I'm a lot better than I was then. Yeah, and all great. it took was like having the ability to go up and someone believing in me enough yeah. to be like, give them spots at 9 o'clock opening the show and 1230 spots and 1 o'clock spots. And I was here working six nights a week, so I was always on the fallout it's list. Magic. Um, now, and you were... You were the talent coordinator when I showed up. Did you have a different position at the comedy store before you became the assistant? Oh, I did everything. You were a doorman? I was the phone guy. guy, Okay. And then I became the runner. You were Mitzi's runner. I was Mitzi's runner, yeah. And, and, uh, and. This was a very, very all inclusive job back then. Like when you were Mitzi's runner. It was an artist. It's an artist colony. Yeah. And it's a college. And it's not like any other place. It's a very special. Very special place, man. It's an amazing place, and uh, and I'm not just saying that because it's, it's this, it's it's where I learned to do. It's like gave me everything. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. It's like there's no way around the fact that if this place didn't exist, I would never ever 
I, uh, I wouldn't still be doing this probably yes. if I didn't have this. It, it like to gave me this me form of self-expression, and and from that, so many great things happen is, have happened in my life. And it's a hundred percent because of this place. But so, but when I came here, man, I didn't um, want to be a comedian. I just needed a job. I'd inherited ten thousand dollars from my grandmother. I drove out to LA. I'd been bl- taking like acid for about six months straight. The money ran out. And I had to get a job. So me and a friend had made some stupid prank calls. And I knew and my crackhead landlord had given me a tour of Hollywood and drove me by the comedy store with a kind of weird reverence. He's like, and that's the comedy store. And I remember the way he said it. And I remember like, um, and I was out in this area another time. And I walked, this is so weird, but I walked by the building. So fucking weird, man. And I touched it. And there was this weird familiarity, and, I, and I, I'm like, thought, well, this is a great place to work. I should get a job here. And I brought these stupid prank call CDs in and, and kept calling and being like, can I have a job? Just, I need a job. And finally, I think it was Dean. I can't remember who it was. Somebody's like, all right, you can get a job on the phones. So I started working on the phones, and that's when uh, Freddie Soto um, called me. Corey called me actually because Freddie didn't want to do that job anymore. And Corey Como right. was the talent coordinator at the time. Was like, "Honey, we want you to be the runner, and the runner is traditionally the position where Mitzi teaches you to do comedy." Yeah, you gave me the same speech at some point. <laughs> you're like, you're like, uh, Jim Carrey did it, and I was like, "No, I don't want to do that," because the person who was the runner before me got fired, and then he never got a spot again. No, it was like it was like uh, what's that Chesarod or whatever. Any anyone who gets too close to Mitzi, yeah, you stand the chance of being banished. It's yes, it's 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 a wonderful thing because she really will teach you stuff, but a dangerous thing. It's yeah. scary, and so uh, I took the I took the position. I took the job as the runner. How many hours a week are you doing this? Because I know some of them there's like sixty hour weeks. I, I don't, it's all a blur, man. Like I, you know, I was so new to LA and like, I just like, I, I still remember like meeting Polly Shore for the first time. I'm like, what? Yeah. Fuck. I used to huff butane. Tintino man. Yeah. And see yeah. that guy. Yeah. I used to huff gas in a trailer with my redneck <laughs> friends and watch totally Polly. Never awesome. in my mind did I think, Oh, I'm going to meet Polly. Sure. But, uh, so I was like in this weird, like, what the fuck is this? This is so strange. And so, yeah, then I became the runner, and, and, and that lasted for some time. And then uh, I guess somewhere in there I became the assistant talent coordinator. Corey Soto quit, I guess, when she married Freddie. Yeah, she wanted to quit, and I remember that phone call. Where they are like, we're going to make you the talent coordinator. And I can remember, like, because I was just starting to do stand-up comedy, and a few comics came up to me, and they were like, don't do it. Right. No talent coordinator has ever gotten spots after they've been the talent coordinator. It's, it doesn't work. Don't do it. Don Barris was like, don't do it. Right. But I, speaking of not believing in yourself, man, when Barris was telling me that shit, I'm like, I don't think I could ever be a comedian for <laughs> real anyway, yeah. man. I'm just going to take a normal Well, that's job. not a problem because I don't think that's going to pan out for me. Exactly. So give yeah. me the talent coordinator yeah. gig. And I'm so glad I took it, man. I, I, I really am because it gave me a, a nice office job that I could forever look back on and deplore. I could, uh, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it gave me a, what it, uh, like, uh, I don't think I want to be a real person. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But it gave me a chance to try out being a real person. And man, 
that was like a he, that really is a huge. And also, it's from that that I ended up getting to be friends with Rogan. And Rogan's the first comic that started taking me out on the road. Okay. And so it's like, you know, everything leads to something else here. Sure. And um, anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to do that whole bio of my history. No, no, that's, that's good. That's what uh, we're, I'm curious about. I mean, I asked for a reason because a lot of what we do on this podcast is kind of talk about people's comedy store experience. Right. And what it means to them and that. So this is kind of what I, I'm, I'm curious about. But I, I it, to me, it's a fascinating path because the only other talent coordinator that's existed in my era was Tommy. Tommy. Yeah. And he, he's someone that he got so trapped in the, the mindset of his immense power yeah, and his false reality right. of who he was that like, I, I live across the street from him and I still see him regularly and he still approaches me. And the only thing he can talk about is this place. He'll never stop and talking what they're about doing it. wrong and stuff that won't work. And it's like stuff like I heard they're doing 10 o'clock shows in the main room on Saturday now. I said, yeah, yeah, they changed it because they do a, a bringer show yeah. earlier in the night. Well, that'll never work. But actually, it's been sold out. Well, that won't last. It's just like I don't it, – it's not your world anymore. Don't worry yeah, about it. Yeah, that got you know, that was a really brutal um, – that was weird because he was – He was a phone guy. When I showed up, he was a phone guy. Yeah, and he was in, and he was. Um, he was like the only non-comedian employee that I ever worked with. Why did he get fired again? Uh, it, it's kind of up in the air, but rumor is that he he stole. He was stealing money out of the till, which is classic comedy store employee back in the day before this place had a packed house every night. That's dark, man. If he was really doing that, because uh, that's really dark. Because he, you know, him and Mitzi got to be really close. Yeah. And that would be like stealing from your grandmother or something. So that's fucked up. But he, and he claims, he's claimed to me that his story has changed over the year. It's been about a year and a month now. And originally it was he didn't do it. And then it was everyone did it. And recently he's mentioned that, you know, Mitzi once told him to take what he thinks he earned. And I was just like, oh, all right, man, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Well, I, you I have know a hard what, time man? picturing that. That's, but. Yeah. The, the, um, the thing is this, that job when I had it was not a job where I had any you didn't power. Have power and yeah. I liked it. And you were a middleman. When I got the job, Freddie and Corey called me and they and Freddie said, your job is to keep people in the business, not to push people out of the business. Interesting. And and I never forgot that because um, who the fuck was I to decide, oh, this person's funny and that person's not funny when it's obvious that there are all these strange trajectories that happen to comedians where sometimes they're god awful and then they get good and then they, they're bad again and then they get good. It's just what part of the waveform are they on when you see them? Right. So to apply some kind of omniscient judgment to them, uh, me, a guy who like went to liberal arts college and got a degree in psychology and had been in LA for a few years, the concept of being like, yep, yeah, that person's funny or nope, that's not You're it. You're the decider. Oh no. And, that's- and knowing you now, it's such a bizarre thought just that you were in that position yeah well it it makes more sense when like you say it wasn't like you were making the assistant job she'd call me on mondays speaking of terror man she'd call on mondays you'd have to do the 
the lineups the lineup. with her, and she would do it really fast. And like it was, the, we the, I don't know how they're a doing lot of it high now. High alphabet names, high alphabet names, but it's also just like no. She, I know there's a theory. It's alphabetical order, right? And I know that it seems like that. It was maybe a little bit, but I'm telling you, man, it was more like she had some system that I to this day I still don't understand what it was, and it was not alphabetical because she would be like. 10.45, put down Shamatosh or whoever it was. And then like 10, 10.50. Now these slots, if a comedian, now if like a comedian broke, or was dating a comedian right. and, it, and they broke up, the Mitzi would immediately start next putting them other. next to each other. I remember Cap and, and Shama always on the lineup next to each other and just be like, that's so evil. Because they had to bring each other yeah. up. So she was, but she, now, why was she doing that? Was she doing it? She was doing it a lot just because she probably thought it was funny yeah, uh, as hell. But I think she was also doing it because she recognized that this, the, the stress of having to go through that, not just the stress of doing it in the moment, but the day leading up to it and the days right. leading to it. Knowing. teaching you something. You're getting this. You have to want it. Because <laughs> yeah, getting... the person you just broke up with is bringing you on stage. Yes. So and you're you learning want a lot. This. And you're learning. Here's what happens when you date people in your business. Right. And you're learning, you know. Shit in your own home. See what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And there, so, so there was a real kind of fun house intentionality behind what she was doing mixed in with this high art love of comedy. So it was, it was in, in, in a real strict, uh, a real strict appraisal of what stand up was and what a good show looked like. And, and she had all these, uh, it, it wasn't just their act. It was, what do they look like? You know, like she would try to create this strange montage of humanity that yeah. had its own pulse and, and would rise and fall throughout the night. And a lot she, of it, she seemed, it was almost like circus freak show. Like you got to have one of everything. You yes, got to have like, exactly. You got to have, you know, a, a double act and a black guy and a strange raced human being yeah. and women. And, and I, and I think part of the alphabet theory was cause Amy Ashton opened so many shows. No, man, I, I don't, I remember. I, I don't, I mean, I never noticed the theory. I, I never noticed that when it was going on, I've just heard people discuss the alphabet I know people theory. think it's an alphabet theory and it could have, I mean, maybe I was delusional. I, I would have preferred alphabet because she would do like, you had to move really fast when you were doing the lineups. Like you would get these sheets from the phone guys, uh, these with checks on them and, and, and the checks were when the comedians were available and it was kind of an alphabetical order, but it was a sheet that kept getting redone and, right. and shit Adding added to it. People so added and yeah. It was like a confusing sheet and you'd sit there on the phone with Mitzi, which is like being on the phone with a combination of like the Pope and, and, and Stalin, you know, like this <laughs> yeah, mystical yeah. tyrant. So Rasputin, the yeah, comic yeah, just this, owner. Oh, it was, it was so exciting and terrifying at the same time. And you know, you, so you'd, and you'd want to, pleaser because she was so imposing and, and, you know, and intense. So like I, you, you would just go through these fucking sheets and, uh, and, and she would like, where, where put shame, where's she, shame attached available. I don't know why I keep saying shame is, uh, she was on a lot back uh, then. John Capper, not John. What did she used to call John Capper? John Campy, John Campy, put him down nine forty five. He's not available at nine forty. You said he was available at nine forty five on Tuesday. So it was that kind of baby. Yeah. Fat baby. Yeah. (laughs) So it was really intense, but I wasn't alphabetical. Like she had a system 
she had a system, and it was a, and she took those lineups so seriously, man. She never, ever, ever rushed through those things. Like it was hours of doing these things, and it was a very slow process. So I don't know about alphabet theory. Maybe later on down the line or something. Towards the end, know. yeah. yeah. I, she, um, like, I was very young and I was very raw, and I, I didn't have. 15 minutes of jokes for sure. And I, I always got the first year I either opened at nine o'clock or I was up really late, like one in the morning. And I, I was still very excited about it, you know, cause it was like, whatever, I'm, I'll take the stage time. And, yeah. um, and then for a year or two, uh, I never got spots. I would get like belly room Fridays, right. which was a great show back then. Jay Davis ran yep. it and then Josh Nasser did it, but it was always packed. Yep. And, it was like the best audiences I would have to go up for. And uh, then I started going on the road with Polly. I met Polly one night and it was the same kind of thing where I'm just like, dude, this is cool. Polly's talking to me. Yeah. And I didn't realize then that his shtick was finding comics who weren't that good and taking them on the road. So, cause it wasn't hard to follow him type of thing. Yeah. Um, so he asked me to go on the road. I was like, yeah, I'd love to. And I did that for like a year and he was, he was kind of a dick to me, which is just the way really? he is sometimes. But Sometimes he's really cool. And anytime I get him to smoke pot, he was really cool. But a lot of times he's just kind of an ass. And he essentially treated me like I was his fucking butler or his assistant. And uh, at some point he, he fired me. And then I was told that. Dude, you're not going on the road with no, me. No, dude, you fucked up, bro. What'd you do? Uh, he, he pulled my hair. We were in Texas somewhere, I think. And I brought him up. I was featuring. And, uh. I started walking off stage and he just grabbed me by the back of my hair and just pulled it. And I had pretty shaggy hair and it literally like cranked my neck back. Ah. And I just turned around like, I'm going to fucking kill this guy. And then it was like, he's got this giant black bodyguard named Terrell. I'm like, fuck, I don't want Terrell fighting me. And I was kind of friends with Terrell. Why did you pull your hair? No reason. It was just like, uh, I'm going to be a bully and show the crowd that I'm a bigger guy than this dude or something. That is... So I got off stage but, and I walked straight over to Terrell. And hang I on, like, man. I got to open up this app real quick. Don't stop oh, this. Yeah. I got to open up this app on my phone right now. Hold on. Let me find um, it. Where the fuck did it go? Oh, man. Hold on. I got to open up the shame bell. Hold on. <laughs> hold on a second, man. We have to do this right now. Do you, do you ever? Hold on. I'm so sorry to do this, man. That is the most. That is really dark. Okay. Yeah. Hold yeah. It on. was. Uh, I was. I was very. Filled with rage and confused, both at like this guy's my boss, and I think he can get me kicked out of the only club that I am part of. But at the same time, I I can't let someone just you can't do that physically bully me. I mean, (laughs) that's beautiful. God, that's special. I wish I would have had that. Um, so I, I walked off stage and I just told the bodyguard, I said, dude, if he touches me again, I'm going to fucking hit him. And he was like, bro, I would have punched him right there. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, so then it, it became like a, a thing. Like I, I was furious with him. And, uh, and then a little while after that, I found out he was, he was taking money from my checks from the clubs. Like I was supposed to be getting 500 to feature. He was just giving me 325 and keeping 
175 of my 500 money. 500 per show? 500 per weekend. And, and then uh, one, we were somewhere, and they said, uh, yeah, the guy, oh, here's your $500. I'm like, oh, sweet, I got a raise. I must be doing well. And then Paulie's like, dude, you got to give him the check back. <laughs> Shame. Shame. Oh. Shame. So then he, I gave him the check back, thinking Paulie's going to give me the 500 and he just gave me the 325 again. So I just went to the club owner. I'm like, did you get Paulie $500 for me or 325 He's like, I just gave him the 500 for you. So then I realized he's making like 18 grand a weekend plus $175 from me. And he was like, giving me like $50. Like here, bro, spending money. I'm like, Oh, you motherfucker. Shame. <laughs> Shame. Well, so, you know what, man? Yeah. And then, and then it became my payback was I have to sell a shirt. So I'm just going to steal money from them. And, uh, and then after a while, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. But uh, he eventually fired me and started bringing someone else. And he told Mitzi not to have me around the club. And then I got a phone call and they were like, yeah, you got like a 1140 spot. I'm like, well, that's, that's a rare. Uh, then she started giving you spots because he me didn't like, want, want like, you around. I'd get, like, <laughs> I'd get like two spots a week, just like fairly decent, better than any other spots I'd ever gotten. So cool. I'd be man. like, wow, what see, happened? See, man, it all worked out in a weird way. And that's the thing. This is the, the you know, there's all these different schools of, uh, of like martial arts, of different styles of jujitsu, different styles of tai chi. If, if comedy was a martial art and the, Comedy store is a dojo. Yeah. This, the way that this art is taught is through pain and, and rejection and suffering and, and insecurity and not knowing if it's going to work out. Right. And somehow the end result of that is that it produces some really fucking funny comics, you being one of them. And so in that Thank way, you. it's like the gestation chamber here, even though the placental fluid is made of the tears of broken comics sad and unhappy it ends up what it ends up doing is it, it like if you stick to it you end up it, it really does work whatever the system here is it, it works and yeah. uh, but it doesn't work the way you would like it to work you know right. it doesn't work your fantasy of how it would work it's not that it's a yeah it's very slow and painful and tedious and and maybe the way it works out doesn't necessarily even match what you think working out is but it's still a great fucking place. God damn. Come to the comedy store. I sound like a goddamn someone at a fucking hotel talking about a well, they, like all the, the people who have who are, are actually part of this place. This is how it, it always ends up sounding. Oh really? Like there, there's people who like just kind of showed up as a comic and they've never known this place other than they get fifteen minute spots right. every once in a while. And they just it, it's very matter of fact, like it's any comedy club Yeah, today. right. But any of us who like this was our home. Yeah. Like without this place, we would be in fucking Cheyenne, Wyoming doing peyote in a, in a, you know, some sort of a sweat den. <laughs> doesn't sound bad. That doesn't sound bad. I love you, Rick. You're super Thanks, funny, man. man. Thanks um, for having yeah, me on. Duncan Trussell on. Uh, do you have podcasts, other things you want to promote? Duncan Trussell Family Hour and my website's DuncanTrussell.com. Beautiful. And forgive me for bailing out. Yeah, yeah. Gotta he, go we got to put him on stage, but uh, I was Duncan Trussell. Thanks, um, come check out the Comedy Store. I'm Rick Ingram. Uh, have a good night, guys.